On the Westman Islands, a group of islands off the southern coast of Iceland, there are these steep cliffs that jut out over the ocean. And every spring and summer, these cliffs come to life with Atlantic puffins. These black and white seabirds with expressive, wistful looking eyes and a bright orange beak. They're also very cute. These islands are home to the largest Atlantic puffin colony on the planet. Typically, more than 1.5 million puffins flock here each year to take up residence in their burrows and breed. That's around one-fifth of the world's total Atlantic puffin population. And if all goes well, their pufflings, these small fluffy chicks, emerge from their burrows in the late summer and early fall and set out over the ocean, where they'll spend the next few years of their lives. But some of them, actually thousands of them, wouldn't make it were it not for the Puffin Patrol. I'm Abby Peralt, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're heading to Jaime, the largest of the Westman Islands, where we'll meet the local heroes who head out into the streets, searching for wayward pufflings. Very cute, but very fast wayward pufflings, night after night. But not on school nights. We don't get to stay up that long. After this. Atlantic puffins are a central part of the human culture in the Westman Islands. They're a big part of tourism here. And we should also mention that people here do eat them. So puffin is the most common bird in Iceland, and it's also the most hunted one until recently. That's Erper Hansen, a biologist and the director of the South Iceland Nature Research Center. He keeps close tabs on Iceland's puffins, And what he's seen is, for the past 15 or so years, a whole host of factors, including warming ocean temperatures, have messed with the puffin's main food supply here, sand eels. Yeah, it's it's all about the sand eels, really, because that's what they eat. And if there is no food, uh, then, then they're in trouble. He says that beginning in the early 2000s, things started to get dire for the puffin population. Year after year, there were very few chicks. Complete uh, failures, like two five, two. As well as in two thousand six, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. They're all zero years or close to zero. The pufflings that did make it, they had to face another obstacle: mistaking lights from the harbor or town for moonlight reflected in the water. Some pufflings have ended up flying into town where they might get snatched by a cat or hit by a car. But that's where the Puffin Patrol stepped in. The community decided to sweep the streets each night throughout the early fall months, when the pufflings typically take off, looking for the lost birds. A lot of people take part in it. Entire families, in fact. It's become this intergenerational hobby that really relies on kids. 
So yeah, actually last year a puffin got out of the box in the garage and it took us like a day or something to find the puffin because it was so small we couldn't find it. But I think dad found it. That's Thelma Ross. She just turned 16 the day we spoke. And her siblings are part of the puffin patrol too. My name is Arnas and I'm 12. Hi, my name is Anton and I'm 10 years old. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jon and I'm seven. When uh, did you first start doing this? When were you first part of the Puffling Patrol? I think it, it maybe since we were born or something. Like, we have always done it, like... Always? Uh, like, as long as you can remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Later, when I spoke with their mom, Berglind, Sigurd's daughter, she totally corroborated this. She said she herself loves rescuing pufflings so much that when her kids were babies, she'd strap them into their car seats and head out cruising for pufflings so she didn't miss a night. Meaning, yeah, they've actually been doing this since they were born. We've grown to be quite experienced in this, I think. And <laughs> uh, we caught uh, the most of pufflings last year of all the people who were searching. We got 281 puffling last year. Yeah, in six weeks period, I think. So how does Berglind and her family catch 281 pufflings in six weeks? They walked me through what happens on a puffling catching night. Um, it's usually around 10 or 11 that we start to go. But I like... 12-ish, um, the puffins really come, and like that's the time where we catch the most puffins, or later. The kids under the age of 13, they like go to bed before we go, and the parents usually wake them up. So, a little before midnight, everyone in the family grabs their flashlights and a few cardboard boxes and files into the car. They start driving around, patrolling the island, hitting all the usual spots. So, like, our island is very small, so it's, like, a very few places where the puffins go. But it's mainly in the um, east of the island, or near the docks, or where there are bright lights. And just to set the scene, there are among many other families doing this. Especially on Fridays and Saturdays, because that's when the school kids get, can get out. Everyone in the car is keeping their eyes peeled, looking for pufflings. And it turns out, at night, it can be kind of tricky. We have followed a rock, we have followed a cat, garbage, all kinds of stuff. (laughs) We're driving and then the brakes and everyone out and now it's just some garbage back, okay. But then, the moment comes when someone spots a puffling that is not actually garbage. And the chase begins. Wow, you have to run a bit, they're like really fast. And they use like their wings to run on the ground. You just have to get them into a corner and then you just take them up. But you can't squeeze them, then they can't breathe. We have been like bruised and bitten by puffins. Oh, they so they bite. Yeah, and scratch. Like their nails are really long and very sharp. When you're younger, it would be better for you if you wear protection when you're catching puffins. But when you get older, you can take off the protection because you're just, you get used to it. Okay, so how many are you usually catching in a night? Up to 20, 30. <laughs> wow! So once they catch a puffling, 
with their bare hands, they place it gently in a cardboard box. But on a night when they're catching 30 pufflings, sometimes the boxes get full. And then they just put them wherever they can. Just had to put them in the pockets and in both our jumpers and trousers and then just everywhere we can fit them, you just put them there. (laughs) They actually calm down because small enclosures like sleeves feel kind of like their burrows. When you put them in the, in the sleeve, they just feel like home. But when it comes to boxes, they understandably want out. Yeah, they just jump out of the box. <laughs> uh, sometimes they can uh, make a hole through the box. Weird how they do it. <laughs> Once I was with my mom and we heard like rustling or something in the trunk and we look back and we see a puffin standing on top of the box very proud of itself (laughs) the pufflings spend the night in the garage or in the shower and the next day the family drives them to the natural history museum where they're tagged weighed and their wingspan is measured though this year with covid berglind and her family took measurements at home using a ruler and a kitchen scale If the pufflings are too small, they're kept for a few days and fed fish. And they're taken good care of. Sometimes it's hard for them to swallow the fish, so we like kind of have to help them. Once their body mass index is high enough for them to survive on their own, the pufflings are taken to the beach. The kids line up along the shore, preparing to release them out over the ocean. So we just hold over the wings, let the little feet like dangle and then we just go up once down and release they're off flapping into their first year of what's hopefully a pretty long life 20 or 30 years so the puffin patrol caught marked and released around 5,600 wayward pufflings in 2018 But maybe more importantly, the patrol is also this collective body of citizen scientists in the field as soon as they're born, helping researchers monitor the size and health of chick populations from year to year. There's just so much joy to the tradition, so much that it's continued generation after generation. Oh, it's just a good feeling. Um, it's... Just fun to catch them. It's like a nice feeling that you can rescue these like little animals, helpless animals. And yeah, just a happy feeling. And one of the main motivations? We get to stay up for so long. Maybe the secret to successful citizen science is starting around midnight. Not on a school night, of course. Thank you so much to Erper Hansen and to the incredible team of Puffin patrollers, Thelma, Arnar, Anton, Jan, and Berglund. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Chris Naka, Doug Baldinger, Camille Stanley, Sarah Wyman, John Delore, Casey Holford, Dylan Therese, Peter Clowney. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. I'm Abby Peralt. Thanks for joining me. 
Witness Docs from Stitcher.